0: You are now listening to the Why Is It Like That podcast, a mental health podcast where we discuss the crippling effects and stories of PTSD, anxiety, depression, and suicide. The views and opinions of our guests are not our own, but merely their side of the story related to trauma, addiction, and mental health. We are real, raw, and uncut. The stories you hear are not easy to hear. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Trey Trevino, alongside your other host, Heath Garcia. We both suffer from PTSD, anxiety, and depression, just like you. Together, we have over 30 years experience in the United States Navy and have seen first-hand effects of mental health on our society and ask the question, why is it like that? We share your stories to provide freedom and comfort to the people of this world, that there is hope, that there is peace, and that we will all be okay but first i'd like to start by taking a moment of silence for the ones we've lost at this mind battle to our military that we have lost and to the soldiers sailors marines coasties and airmen that are deployed in harm's way away from their families missing their child being born birthdays anniversaries and even deaths of loved ones Not what y'all been waiting for, the Why Is It Like That podcast. Let's get it! This is uh, Trey Trevino from Why Is It Like That podcast with your boy, Trey Trevino and Heath Garcia. What's up? What's going on, man? Today we're going to be discussing a very uh, iffy subject that nobody likes to discuss Shame. Whoa. Let's get that. shit. There it is. So shame. What do you associate with shame? How does it affect you? Why does it linger around? What does it cause to you and your family, yourself? Is it a head game or is it is it something that people actually view you by or is it something you just view yourself by? So we're going to get into this topic pretty deep, pretty uh very self. I think I can relate very much to to the shame piece very much so. But I'll let uh, Heath take it away.
1: Hey, so <clears throat> I just wanted to say real quick before we get started, thank you, as always, to our listeners. Um, thank you to those who believe in us, who just tune in and actually take what we're saying and and try to make sense of it. You know, um, for a lot of folks, there's a lot of outlets that we generally take part in. Uh, and this is Tran eyes outlet. You know what I mean? This is kind of how we gain our peace of mind and how we gain our little bit of understanding. Um, And I mean, we're no psychologists by any means, but we're real live people that suffer from this stuff. So, Um, and we do a lot of research and I think that our opinions are pretty valid and um, it shows through ratings and things like that and you guys tuning in. So please continue to spread the word. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things, a lot of good feedback from across the United States already and it's humbling. I just want to say that. So I just wanted to thank you guys from the bottom of our heart. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll begin talking about shame and why it's lethal. Um, as a matter of fact, we just got done listening to something by Brene Brown, who is a licensed clinical social worker. She's a doctor, and she kind of, well, she tackles shame head first. So. She has something
0: um, very good to say about it. How does she put it?
1: Well, she she directly said shame is lethal, and it's an impa- it's a intensely painful feeling of not being able to feel love and happiness. Um, it's fostered by secrecy, silence, and judgment. And what's something, so shame seems impenetrable, right? Like it seems one of those things because nobody really wants to talk about it. And she did say in her in her little interview that she was doing um, that shame tipped, typically tends to be the death of research or some people's careers because nobody wants to talk about shame. And I believe it because I don't want to talk about mine, you know? Um, But being that shame feels so impenetrable, it does have one weakness and that is empathy through sharing. Um, If we endure something and we share it and that other person gives us some type of emotional feedback which we call empathy back to us in regards to that, it kills shame. Um, again, Renee Brown said that you put those, those aspects of secrecy, silence and judgment in a Petri dish. And that's what makes shame. However, if you add a little bit of empathy, empathy to that, it destroys it. <clears throat> Very good points. Um, So, I think this is a good topic to to actually get into, um, no matter how bad it hurts or things like that. Um, I've been, I mean, I've been shameful, I think, most of my life. I've had a lot of discouraging things happen as a child um, that I didn't really like to talk about, and I don't think I've ever talked about them until my mid-30s. So, you can see how that probably festered into more trauma that was built up over time um, because shame in itself can be a developmental type of trauma. Um, Yeah. So childhood, not proud to talk about it, but I mean, I'll be straight out with it. You know, I was, I was raped by another man as a, as a kid and he was just 18. So, um, you know, that was a, a guilty thing of, well, it's not really guilty of my parents, but it's just the assumption of parents thinking that their son or daughter is safe with a sibling, you know. And in this case, it was my stepbrother. Um, his name was Billy, and my dad trusted him. He moved in the house kind of late. We were in an apartment. And, well, it's you know, he groomed me a, a few few weeks in, you know, like any other pedophile would. Um, and then the incident occurred I never felt the same afterward. And, uh, you know, honestly, I can't tell you how my brain blocked that out. I mean, it could be fucking, it could have happened more than once. My brain doesn't tell me that right now. You know what I mean? All I could see is the one incident. Um, but when you uncover and, you know, go through trauma, you can, and, and go through EMDR and different processes. Sometimes it actually unlocks things and you actually find out that you've been through more. Um, so being that said, it doesn't really matter how many times it happened to me. It is what it is. It happened. It's trauma. It is definitely affected me. Um, luckily my dad beat, beat his fucking ass, um, based on some other shit. You know, I still didn't rat him out for what he did. I had CPS there because he got pushed through a a dining room table, um, because he was giving my dad a bunch of shit and he got kicked out of the house. But, um, My dad didn't even know until my mid thirties and I was simply afraid of telling him because I didn't want him to go to jail. That made sense to anybody out there. I was actually afraid for my father, not for me at the time. And I went through a lot of trauma with my father too, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse. (laughs) I actually had a psychologist tell me that the reason why I didn't tell my father was yeah, because I've seen my father in action, and it was more being scared of my dad than to be able to come to him and tell him and trust that he would do the right thing. From that age, it affected my sexual relationships. It led me straight into curiosity because I was violated as a 12-year-old, and I had no clue what sex was. Uh, I went straight into porn, found my dad's porn videos, his collection. He only had a few tapes. My dad wasn't, you know wasn't a fucking uh, junkie or anything, but, you know, it was just, it just took that one tape and then I really got a dose of what nasty, kinky ass fucking sex was. You know what I mean? That, that shit that really doesn't happen in real life. It's all fucking made up on a movie, but guess what? That movie got played in my head and now that's what I was expecting, you know? Yep. Moved through my teenage years with that. Um, and I've never told anybody, you know and I'm holding this in. Um, did, was I curious about my sexuality at the time? No, I wasn't. I knew I liked chicks. You know, I, I, I knew I was, was all into women. Did I feel terrible that it happened? And did I feel like that shouldn't have happened? And that it, it, did it make me feel slightly, I guess, would you say gay because of the experience? It was a homosexual experience, obviously, but that didn't make me gay.
0: you had no control over it. Right. It wasn't your choice.
1: It wasn't. But that's what shame did. You know, shame told me that I was raised to, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, that was yeah. bad. You're not supposed mm-hmm. to sleep with men or women to sleep with women or, you know what I mean? And In, in our culture nowadays, that really doesn't matter. And I'm not, I'm not here doing a political statement on the LGBTQ community or anything you like just that. just the way you were raised. Right. And I just want to make that clear because I have no qualms with anybody You know what I mean? What you do in the bedroom is what you do in the bedroom, folks.
0: Early 90s and stuff, right?
1: Right. All I'm trying to say is that it it did stick with me and I'm trying to show you how shame played a role in my sexuality because I couldn't, I felt very shameful about talking about it because to me, it was very disgusting. It was very scary. It was very illegal in my, you know what I mean? In my Mm -hmm. parents' eyes. Like, I would have thought that and and the shame was telling me in my own brain that, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. You should have said something. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're gay because, you know what I mean, this guy did this to you. Yep. And that's not good for your family. You know what I mean? Because your family doesn't believe in being gay. Um, so that makes you an outcast. And you're a piece of shit. Um, that's all you deserve is, you know, being raped or or being in that kind of a category, you know you don't deserve a regular shot at a healthy sexual experience um and by that time, well, I started getting into to girls at school, sixteen, you know mm-hmm. first sexual experience with a chick in my room. be honest with you, it was good, but it wasn't, and not because I didn't like the girl or anything like that it's just because Again, my mind was all warped into this fucking, oh, this is how sex should be. And it was nothing like that, you know. And it was disappointing to me. Um Moving through, you know, got with another girl um, who I thought was amazing at the time. Um, And this chick, I mean, she approached me, you know, yeah. in high school. And I thought things were kind of different. I felt kind of needed, which was good. But then again... Still, I never told her about any of that. You know what I mean? I never disclosed that to anybody, so I'm still walking around with all this shit in my head and it just kind of metamorphosized into something else. And then, um, you know, me and her would fuck all the time, you know what I mean, because we're kids and we could and parents didn't give a fuck, you know what I mean? So it was something that I enjoyed, Mm -hmm. something she enjoyed, so we did it a lot. And still, I still had that feeling like, oh, this shit ain't good enough. You know what I mean? Like this, what the fuck? You know, we should yeah. be doing this and that. So, um, it was one of her best friends, which was a guy at the time, and me. And then we had a fucking threesome. You know what I mean? And that fucked that relationship up. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and then I walked uh, a couple, another year into it. You know what I mean? I, I kind of got out of the area I was in. I wanted a better life. Went to job Corps, Came back to her with another guy, and then they split the fucking Canada. Yeah. So that was another jab in the in the heart, you know what I mean? So I'm and this ain't like a, you know, a, a, a fucking life story right now, guys. This is just trying to show you how when you don't want to let something out, how it just manifests inside you and it just kind of breaks down your most intimate part of you, you know? Um at a point when I first joined the service <clears throat> before I met my wife, you know, um luckily I got all this shit out of my system, you know what I mean? Um, but it's like, I was, I was, I guess you can term it sport fucking, mm-hmm. I mean, I go out with, with my boys or whatever, you know what I mean? And that's all we'd look for. Bang them out, fucking see you later. Didn't have no connection. Didn't care. You know, breaking, breaking women's hearts. Is it right? No. You know, I didn't, at the time I enjoyed it and I didn't give a fuck and that's real talk. You know, I think that a lot of people go through this. You know what I mean? And I think I destroyed a lot of lives doing that. Um, but yeah, shame is a motherfucker. And just by that one incident, it really fucked me up, man. I mean, I questioned a lot of things through life and I always questioned them in silence. And that was one of the key things that Brene Brown talked about was secrecy. You know what I mean? And and silence and the fear of judgment. It's all there. The three elements that she talked about was right there. Um, that caused shame that let it grow and turned into that that developmental trauma you know yeah um and it is lethal i think that i think that shame like really honestly like just plugs us in and and it just makes us feel lower and lower and lower and lower and lower and, lower. and that's when you get people that want to go kill themselves and commit you know commit suicide and things like that because they just don't want they don't want to live anymore. They don't want to have that secret. They want to be free of it, but they don't know how to free it. Well,
0: because they think everybody hates them. Like she was saying, they think everybody <clears throat> hates them and they're not there for them. So therefore they're like, I just rather get out of here and go because you can't stand the shame anymore.
1: Yeah, you absolutely. You can't stand
0: that feeling of hate.
1: <laughs> what do you think, man? I mean, have you been in a situation like that?
0: So, I'm, I mean, I was the same. I was a young, horny bastard, um, but my, I don't think my childhood was anything like that. I think my shame has to do with like getting fucking shit faced and then doing stupid shit all the time and then locking myself up and not wanting to see anybody. Cause I'm like fucking everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. I did all this stuff. And then Melanie would be like, you know what you did last night? And it would like some type of overwhelming feeling inside me. Like I just could not hear it. I'm like, just stop talking. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what I, I don't want to hear it. And I like, it would hurt like make me sick. And I don't even know how many times that's fucking happened. Like, you know what you told our friends and all this other stuff? And you know what you were doing in front of our other friends like this and all this shit? And it's like we're at him like a month or two where I don't want to go anywhere. She's like, let's go to the next. No, let's go into Walmart. No, because I'm going to see some people. I don't want to see nobody. And I just lock and seclude myself in to not see fucking anybody because it's that shame part that just eats you up inside. Hell, this fucking... uh getting kicked out thing, waiting for this ad set board. I ain't gonna lie. There's sometimes I'm fucking in town and I see somebody that's from my old command. I just turn the other way. Like, I don't even want to deal with
1: it. Has that, has that as a man suppressed who you are in any type of way? Because you know what I mean? Like, I I think that because I, I, I'm here with you. So I, I see you walking around and and every day and, and you're doing great things, but I think that, yeah, I think it holds you back from a lot of things that you could be doing.
0: But yeah, because I'm just fucking waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And then it's just fucking it, it's kind of fucked me up because I thought I was a good fucking chief. Like I thought I was the chief, the one everybody liked. You know what I'm saying? Because I was I was stern and I would and I'd be the guy out there with everybody fucking turning wrenches and fucking let's go load this shit when nobody else wanted to. You know what I mean? It'd be like the lion guy and me out there all the time. And then this shit happened. And it's fucking, it's, it's blown me back so much. Like like I've totally destroyed my whole reputation and everything I was about and what I stood for, for being drunk and acting stupid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that eats me up. And at the beginning, I mean, I'm telling you, it's been months since I've done anything since I'm separated from the command. Like I'm talking fucking July and we're in December right now doing nothing. And I've thought, and I've went up and down and all around and fucking back down and back up. And it's just, you know, you talk about that shame, you know, we empathize and everything else and it feels good. And then it just, you see that one person and you're like, I, I think that's what fucked me up. The other day we're at Walmart and I saw one of the people that did the report and I just looked and I looked the other way and went walking and Melanie knew immediately something was wrong with me. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, not going to talk about it right now. She's like, and we're in the car and I told her, she's like, oh, I just want to I don't know, I just feel, I don't know, <clears throat> still facing the board, so can't go out deep into it. But it, there is shame there, nonetheless, for what I do. You know what I mean? I, I'm fucking, even putting on like a chief shirt now, I'm like, I shouldn't even deserve to put all that on now. I'm just fucking like done with everything. Melanie's like, you look like you're just done with the Navy now. I'm like, I'm not worth it anymore. I'm not worth it to be in the Navy anymore. She's going to get out and start something new. I fucked this all up like I do everything else. She's like, you can't be thinking like that. Like, no shit. I woke up today and told Melanie, I need to get out of this fucking funk already. I can't get out of it. And she's like, you have to have the will to want to live and keep on going every day. I said, well, fuck, you got more purpose than me right now. You go to work every day and do something, teach kids and shit. She's like, you just have to. You want to. You have to do something. And just being on that page today and talking to the other people trying to do stuff, that kind of brought me up. Talking to the group members and being like, <clears throat> let's do this for this person. and Let's help put this other fucking person out. That's mm-hmm. helped me. You have to have a purpose. Sorry, burping over here and shit. I think having a purpose really helps you with that shame piece. Because if you're shameful and whatever action caused that shame leads you to just be alone in your mind by yourself doing nothing, it is very, very toxic and fucking, what was that word you use? Lethal. Mm-hmm. I think it is very lethal. Because it's just you with your mind. That's a fucking very scary place. Yeah, it is. Because there's nobody intervening. You know, when you're concentrating on some shit, mm-hmm. and somebody's talking, you can't concentrate. It's the same thing. Like if you're just focused on you being a piece of shit all the fucking time.
1: So with- check. So check this shit out, Trey. I want you to do something. and I want you guys in the in the in the in the audience <clears throat> that are listening in right now. I want you to do this too. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to envision two chairs in a room. You're sitting in one of them and you're facing another one. And I want you to envision yourself staring at yourself. Now, Trey, what I want you to do is I want you to tell the audience how good of a person you are.
0: Um, all right.
1: No, I'm serious. I'm, se- I'm I, I used to think I had very and good morals. And I'm going to be, and I'm going to be the opposite you. I don't Go don't ahead. Fuck you. I know what you're gonna do. Go ahead. I'm on. I can be truthfully honest. I thought I had good morals. And your, I was morals a good person. Are, your morals are shit. Exactly. You, you ain't a fucking good person. Exactly. You're a piece of shit.
0: I fully agree with that. Like wholeheartedly agree with that statement.
1: No, you're a fucking tool.
0: I'm telling you, I, I know what you want me to do, but I—that's how I honestly feel.
1: And that, my friend, is giving in the shame.
0: I. It, it is.
1: Because when I look at you. I look at you as a survivor. I look at you as a mentor in some aspects, and I mentor you in others. We're friends. I look at you as a loyal person. I look at you as a good husband and a good father that tries, even though he's going through his own battles um, and being, you know, being smashed by shame every day and worthlessness that he, that you feel from that.
0: Every time I see sailors.
1: Right. But look at, look at the positive aspects of what you're doing on the outside. You're part of a great group called hashtag Saving Sailors, right? You're mentoring people there. You're doing this podcast with me, mentoring the audience out here. Um, You're taking care of your children. You're giving it your all you have every day, even though you go to work and they make you feel that way. You still find a, a reason to get up in the morning. So that's what you should be telling yourself. And that's what you should let win and conquer you. But the opposite you, which was me at that exact moment, was just telling you you're a piece of shit. You're a fucking tool, right? Mm-hmm. And right away, you're going into it like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and,
0: that, and that's me. This ain't even made up. This ain't no made up skit shit that we're doing right now. This is like on the fly. Yeah. That's how, that's, you know, you get getting that funk, man. you get getting that funk where you're just like.
1: You feel worthless.
0: Yeah, you feel worthless, man. And it just eats at you and eats at you. And so, like, you look at every single little thing that happens around you and you're like. Yeah, they just proved it again. Yeah, that just proved it again, right there.
1: And you know what's fucked up is, as a as a Latin culture, already we're we're fucking cheese muscle, You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. fucking, we're already pride fucking amplified by ten. We're like born out the womb. You know what I mean? So yeah. So for you to to bow down and and just say that to yourself, like I'm a piece of shit, it goes to show just how deeply dark and rooted shame can be, because. That's not like us in our culture. I mean, look, you can ask my wife right now. Hey, does he ever give up on anything? She'll be like, man, fuck no. That motherfucker can be burning on fire and he'll still be like, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like like serious shit, you know? Shame's a fucking deep, dark fucking thing, man. Oprah said a quote. She said, we are only as liberated as our secrets. Yup. In layman's terms, that means if you don't tell the truth about yourself or be honest about yourself to everybody else around you, you're going to be a slave to yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're going to. That's true. And that's why we, you know, when we uh, did the episode on transparency and all that other stuff. <clears throat> and then on the, you know, the group, hashtag seven sailors, you see so many people saying like, man, it, it feels so good to, you know, release something. It feels so good to say something. Um, I feel like some a weight has been lifted or like, you know, when we have a. People on on, on the show, they're like, I I feel like better now. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. We've always said it. It's hard to fucking talk. But once you do, you're like, it's like, I I mean, and I'm just speaking for myself, Heath, and others that we've spoke to. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's like that, but it does do something. Oh, yeah. It's it's a release of some sort. You know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. Did anybody want to jump in this conversation?
0: No, I didn't see anybody.
1: Yeah, cause I can't do, uh, I can't do anything right now on the other side. I can't make it to the other side. Break right on through to the other side. All right, all that's gonna have to get it out. Yeah, that's fine. So shame and yeah, guilt. It don't have to be an hour long, bro. No, that alone
0: was pretty fucking intense. Mm-hmm.
1: So shame and guilt. It's important, real quick, to to differentiate the two. Shame is not guilt. Remember the the thing of shame is it's an intensely intensely painful feeling of not being able to feel like a certain feeling like love or happiness, not being worthy of it. Guilt on the other hand is being guilty for something that happened and you can generally use guilt as a motivating factor. Have you ever thought about that? IE like if something happens to one of your guys, right? Say you're loading a bomb. Say you guys were doing everything right. However, maybe there was one misprocedure and the bomb fell and landed and broke a sailor's foot, right? Yeah. could happen, yeah,
0: it's happened before,
1: right as a good leader, you're probably gonna feel guilt for that because you're in that evolution itself, and you feel slightly responsible for it, fully
0: responsible for that shit,
1: okay, some onus is on the sailor too, by the way, yeah but no way. but yes, as a leader, you do take the brunt of the situation because that's you as a leader, but that's what's ingrained in the sudden anyway, you know, um but you can take that situation and, and and in your head you say, that shit's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And you put steps in place to make sure it never happens again. So that's an example of how you use guilt to be a, a motivating factor in change. Shame, however, there is no motivating factor of change. It's all debilitating. And it turns into developmental trauma, meaning... It prevents you, to me, and this is my opinion. This is not an opinion of a psychologist, I think this. Okay, so don't take it for, like, face value.
0: We're getting sued.
1: <laughs> but to me, it takes, just like for me and sex, it takes things and excuse it, it, it skews it to where it, 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 it makes a fraudulent copy of what the reality should be for a certain thing.
0: It makes it seem like, I feel like shame is... Once you're in there, you feel like whatever it was, it's irreparable, like it can never be repaired again. There's no fixing it at all. So it's like you're at the end. There's nothing.
1: But is that true? No, I
0: think in any any
1: case,
0: I think in any case at all, you can repair it. Like I like to tell people whenever they're telling me stuff and I and it's sad the way I can put it together. But I think time heals all. I believe time heals a lot of stuff. Yeah. So like with my shame shit, that's the only time, that's the only other thing that helped me was just time, just letting time go by to let whatever I did or fucked up or whatever thing I've done fade away. And then I go to town and I don't see nobody. So I feel better. I feel better. And then a boom, I see somebody and I go back to the bottom, but it was only time. I'm not saying that's the only thing, you know, like like we're saying, you have to open up, you have to talk about it to release it. But I think time can heal a lot of stuff. So I don't think I don't think anything is irreparable friendships. If you break those friendships, you can always ask for forgiveness. And it's on the other person on the other end. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you've done your part. I forgive. Or no, I, I'm asking for forgiveness for fucking up in this, this and this way. Um, I don't expect you to forgive me, but I've said my piece. It's already released there. You know what I'm saying? You've done your part for that.
1: Right. You've liberated yourself. You've liberated
0: yourself there. Now mm-hmm. it's on the other person, you know, and, and that's a, totally up to them. But
1: you've done your part. Yeah. Deep. That is deep. <clears throat> shit. <laughs> I mean, what else you got to say about shame?
0: I swear, whenever we put this thing up, I'm going to have, I'm going to put the picture of the fucking uh, Game of Thrones <laughs> with the lady walking saying, Shame.
1: Oh, shit. Shame.
0: That's what I'm going to have up. Hopefully, <laughs> they don't fucking get us. Fuck, man. Shame is fucking telling my parents that I might be going home after being a chief and doing so good in the Navy and that I might have to go home and live with my mom or dad in the meantime till I find a job. But I told them. That
1: makes you feel like what? Less of a man?
0: Yes, it did. But my mom said, it's okay, mijo. Things happen and we'll get through it. And it made me that's when it made me feel better to open up. And I didn't tell my dad. I told my stepmom, I didn't tell my dad, that was the hardest one. And I told him, he's a, he's, he's a man of a few words when it comes to st- stuff like that. And now he'll ask me every now and then, I was, how's it going with that? I ain't heard shit. I think by this time, everybody thinks I'm bullshitting now. Cause I'm like, I ain't heard shit. I ain't heard shit. Cause I really ain't heard shit. We're going to get in the deep book of uh, writings right now.
1: <laughs> no, I just thought, because this is totally unscripted and shit. So I, I figured... Why not read, because I just talked about Billy, why not read my EMDR session journal that I wrote right after that shit? And I mean it, you know, and I, and this shit helps me out a lot too, and this hopefully will shed a little bit of light on somebody that's suffering from the same type of shit, all right? And if I can do it, you can do it, motherfuckers, okay? So Damn. check it out. <clears throat> this one's called EMDR Session 1, Billy and Heath, and this was on June 12th. 2019 during my inpatient treatment over at Strong Hope, uh, Utah. Says, today seemed to be my first walk through my dirty, filthy, and frustrating past. CPT lasted half the day, and just when I thought I was done with searing my soul, Eliana, who's my psychiatrist, by the way, Mm -hmm. called me into the group room. I saw the paddles, and I knew that it was time (laughs) to relive something I really didn't want to. She already pre-briefs us, like, you know, like, or at least for us, my, at least for me, she pre-briefed, okay, this is what, you know, if you do a trauma statement in the in a CPT room, they immediately pull you and they do the fucking EMDR right away because it's fresh. Okay. So she wanted to start out with combat trauma. I immediately pushed back. Um, and this is just starting on my childhood because I figured, you know, I wanted to see if this process was really work. It was really going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured that I would rather be disappointed with that than speaking about Derek, who is my friend that was killed uh, in combat. Now, I just want you to key in on that shit. I figured that I would rather be disappointed with that. So I already went in there with the mindset that I wasn't worthy of healing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the shame was already sitting right there. That's shameful right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? As I held the paddles in my hand and I closed my eyes, the thoughts began. Eliana asked me to recall a feeling as I dove into the trauma and the two feelings that I came that came to my mind were rage and sorrow. I went through vivid details of my event from the manipulation and grooming of my fragile innocence to give in, uh, to give into the actual molestation and eventually rape that occurred. Uh, as the paddles pulsed back and forth, I recalled images and sensations that I had seemed to forget from Billy making me, you know, uh, and these are like choice words. All right. Um, so this ain't for the faint at heart, uh, making me masturbate him to actually fondling my genitals and warming up for the final act of his rape. Uh, I saw red in my vision as I described how he, he heard my father come home. Uh, he made me get dressed and he put, out <clears throat> and he put on his clothes as well. Uh, my dad walked in our room and I knew that I was hoping he would notice, but he didn't. I was hoping that my father would notice what happened, like just... You know what I mean? So you
0: didn't have to say anything just so he could get caught and then you wouldn't have to. But he didn't. Yeah.
1: I just wanted to be understood. I wanted a friend, a brother, a father, and someone I could be comforted from to keep me safe. It seems I never received that. And because of that, in turn, it helped Billy deceive me into his trap. As the session wrapped up, I felt like for a split second, I was out of my body, then slammed back in. My head was still everywhere and things were feeling closely similar. But one thing was different. I felt a certain peace with everything. And that certain peace is what I believe is what we're looking for after shame. When we reveal our deepest, darkest secrets and we feel empathy from that from somebody else, it conquers shame. We are worthy of feeling love and happiness and we're worthy of everything that human beings were put on this earth for and that God gave us. Um, I feel that evil and evil in the world make up what shame does to us and it, and it, and it binds us and it doesn't let us grow to the people that we need to be or the people that we are. Um, it stops our liberation, our freedom, and it stops us from growing. Again, we are only as liberated as our secrets. When we let those secrets out, we're free. We're free of them. We could talk about them freely and it doesn't control us anymore. We're not in the dark closet. The shadow's lifted and behind us. You know what I mean? We take that soot, that blemish, and we expunge it off of our clothing, our of our souls, you know? No longer can something like that be debilitating. The more and more you take ownership and you talk about it, you actually make it less powerful each time you do it. I... It took me 35 years to open up about that, and now I'm talking about it on a live podcast. For the world to hear. <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not scared about it. Remember, shame lives in secrecy, silence, and judgment. And in that secrecy, silence, and judgment, it thrives. However, when you open up to somebody and they apply a little empathy, just that little bit changes that entire dynamic. And shame is defeated. It holds no power over you. For anybody listening to this podcast, you're worth it. No matter what you've been through in life, you could be a Trey, you could be a Heath, you could be anything, you know, worse to your own opinion or better. We all suffer. Um, Don't let it be your end all. If you need to talk, talk, vent it out. Talk on the podcast. Talk to your friends. Talk to your parents. Talk to your groups that you're attending, your psychiatrists. Open up. Write it down. Yeah. Do what you need to do. We got, hey, God bless you guys, man. We love you. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my stories and not being judgmental. Thank you for your empathy towards me because it's not easy to talk about, but I'm, I'm, I'm living proof that when you can talk about it, it does help you.
0: I mean, there ain't much more to say than that. If you need to talk to somebody, talk to them, you feel it inside. And if you don't, if you, if you don't have it in you yet to talk to somebody yet, write it down. Nobody has to see it. Maybe it's something just for you to write it down. And that'll be the small step to open up something. And that's all I got to say. Y'all have a good uh, rest of your day if you're listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll uh, see you on the next uh, episode. Peace.